Paul's behind bars in Rome. He's writing a letter that he's sending to this new church in Colossae. And Colossae is modern-day Turkey. And he's sending this letter because this church got started through a young man named Epaphras. Epaphras came to know Jesus in Ephesus. Paul was in Ephesus telling the folks in Ephesus about Jesus. And Epaphras is there. Epaphras comes to life spiritually. He heads off to Colossae. He starts talking to the folks in modern-day Turkey about Jesus. And people are coming to life, and they plant a church. And so Paul gets thrust behind bars, as we'll see uh, and continue to unfold in Colossians, because the authority figures in Rome are quite nervous and unsettled about the kinds of things this former Saul of Tarsus, who was arresting and persecuting, is now writing under the banner of Paul. Remember, Saul's name means great one. Paul's name means little one. So one swift change of a character shows you the pathway to greatness in Jesus' eyes. Descending into greatness as the Apostle Paul is finding. And what he's writing about is literally shaking the foundations of the kingdom of Rome. Because if Paul is true, then the Roman Empire, which was convinced it was all. So the theme in Paul's day is Rome is all. And the theme of Colossians is this. Three word theme to the book of Colossians. Christ is all. And how we are, 2,000 years removed, who's right? Paul or Rome, because they both can't be right. And Rome decided, we're going to just put this guy behind bars. So they slap him behind bars and try to shut him down. And he writes these letters. Most of his letters in the New Testament came from behind bars. And he sends these letters out to this little community in Colossae. And we'll pick it up, verse 19. We're going to be in 19 to 23 this morning, which appropriately timed, I think, for our community today. Here's kind of the theme of the, the morning that Paul's going to unpack, you know, how things got so broken down and what's God's plan for mending back together what's broken down. So no lack of brokenness in our own personal lives or ripple effect across our own community. There's plenty of things breaking down. Paul wants to describe how things have become so broken and then what's God's plan for putting it back together. Verse 19 for God was pleased to have, continue to underline this word all through the letter, all, all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So I want you to see a connection here from verse 19 based on who Jesus is. So Paul says, hey, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. All the fullness of deity dwells in Jesus. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. Paul's saying, here's Jesus. Look at Jesus and you see God. Based on who Jesus is, God in the flesh, supreme authority over all. Do you see how he's just chiseling away at the kingdom of the Roman Empire? Because there's only one who keeps the peace at Rome at that time, and it's Rome. And here Paul's saying, uh, Jesus is the one who's going to bring two true peace. There's only one who really offers hope in the Roman Empire, and that's Rome. Uh, Jesus is the one who's going to bring true There's only one who brings light in the Roman Empire, that's Rome, and he's writing a letter. Jesus is your light. Jesus is your hope. Jesus is your peace. Jesus is your all. Do you see how it's just chiseling away at this foundation? And so based on who Jesus is, he's the supreme Lord and Savior of all. King of kings, Lord of lords, supreme authority over all. The image of the invisible God, based on who Jesus is, verse 19, here's what Jesus does. 
verse 20. The verb in verse 20, I want you to circle in your Bibles, is the verb reconcile. It's a really important word in the New Testament. It's kind of a Bible word, but the Bible word reconcile just simply means this, to bring back together what has broken apart. That's what the word reconcile, to bring back together what has broken apart. And do you see how Jesus now becomes the pathway, God's plan for mending back together what is unraveling all around the human experience is Jesus. Jesus is the plan. And he's gonna do a reconciling work. Because the fracture of brokenness, do you see now in verse 21? Watch it, listen to verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So verse 21 is a key verse for the morning. I want you to underline alienated from God, enemies in your minds, and evil behavior. Underline those three phrases and just draw little arrows between those three phrases. And then I want you to stay with Paul in the rationale here. Do you see now what he's saying is there is a fracture in the human experience the human condition has a fracture called alienation from God. This fracture then has a ripple effect to all the other fractures we experience in life. And the first one comes, the breakdown comes, a, a breakdown in this relationship with God. And it's rooted in Genesis 3 because God intended for life to be lived with him. So here's God's original plan, that he would create human beings and they would live life with him that you'd go to work with God, that you'd raise your family with God, that you would make a difference in this world with God, that you would connect with your friends with God, that you do life with God. The with God life was the original paradigm God always had when he created humanity. Companionship was his plan. I'm gonna be in companionship relationship with what I'm creating as human beings. I'm gonna make them in the imago Dei. I'm gonna stamp them with the image of God. We're gonna be in continual relationship together. Do you know how much your Bible has that? There's how much of your Bible has before sin, right here. Here's your Bible after sin, right here. So Genesis three, you only got to page two in your thin line Bible. Page two, and the story started getting really messy. And Paul says, here's the understanding of the brokenness. The fracture happened at Genesis 3. What happened in Genesis 3? Adam and Eve knew what they should do. Remember, God told them, you're free to eat from any tree, but what? One tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch it, don't eat it, don't take that fruit. Command is clear. Execution is the problem. Uh, I have plenty of commentary in my own life. Command is clear. Simpson, this is what I need you to do. Execution is where there's breakdown. That's a one-sentence definition of sin in the Bible, James 4, 17. Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. You wanna know what sin is? James 4, 17. You know what you ought to do and you just don't do it. Like, really, gang, are we going to stand before God someday and say, Jesus, I just wish you would have been clearer about the kind of spouse you really wanted me to be. I wish you'd have been clearer with me about how I was to love and serve my wife or how I was to give myself away to my children. You just weren't clear. Am I, am I really going to play that card? For the most part, we know how we should behave. The problem is carrying it out. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve know they've got freedom to take all kinds of fruit, just this one tree. And they take the fruit, 
and they eat it. And what's insert, that fracture in Genesis 3, that's the sin condition that Paul uses, the phrase in Colossians 1, alienated from God. You can just write in the margin of your Bible right there, Genesis 3. That ripple effect. And do you see the connection? So he's saying that alienation leads to a hostility of mind which manifests in evil behavior. Evil behavior is Bible word for foolish choices. So you see how this links? So you've got a, a fracture of alienation. So you go from companionship with God so the human experience now can become, God says, okay, you can have it your own way in this. You can live life pushing God to the margin. You can live separate from God, distant from God, running from God, which is where Adam and Eve go, by the way. They immediately run and hide. So the ability for humans to kind of move to this running and hiding and separating from God, to go from a with God life to a without God life is the core of sin. Are you tracking with me here? This is when the Bible says alienation from God. And maybe it helps you to think about it like a cul-de-sac. Many of you live on a cul-de-sac. I want you to think about alienation from God as being stuck in the cul-de-sac of sin. And how do you know you're stuck in this cul-de-sac of sin? I want you to think about it this way. So here's kind of the manifestation of this alienation. That you begin, here's how Romans 1 describes it. Paul writes a letter to the church at Rome, and in Romans 1, he says, here's the, here's the way sin, this alienation from God, works its way out into everyday life. You begin to look to receive from creation what only the creator can bring. So you begin to move out into your everyday life, and you try to extract from work and family and marriage and 401ks, you to try to extract from creation what only the creator can provide. And then you know you're stuck in the cul-de-sac really deep when you get to this point, when you recognize that, you know, work, family, ministry, money, 401ks, that's not all ultimately satisfying, and you know you're caught up in Colossians 1 alienation when you conclude this, well, more of what's already not working is gonna work. So I'm going to go with more work, more marriage, more kids, more money. So you follow the breakdown here? So here's where the alienation leaves you. So that's really not working. So more of what doesn't work is going to work. Anybody else been there? That's where this extension goes. An alienation that leads to And do you see now what happens is you live in this space where you recognize you try to extract from creation what only the creator Christ can bring. And then you get frustrated when all those things aren't meeting this gap. You know where the gap is between expectation here? Like expectations are here and reality's here. Do you know what fills that gap? Disappointment, unmet expectations. Right there, that space inside our soul, I wanna name that space. I wanna call it this morning the ache of incompleteness. Have you experienced this ache? I think this ache of incompleteness is a gift from God. I want you to stay with me with that phrase through the morning. Because it's the connection to how Paul is describing here the alienation to hostility, to blaming, to foolish choices. It stems, its starting point is this fracture that yields itself 
into this space called an ache of incompleteness. What does that ache look like? No matter how great your marriage is, there's still gonna be a lining of disappointment in that marriage. No matter how wonderful and healthy and strong and productive your children are, there's still gonna be a lining of disappointment there. No matter how satisfying or successful that career might be, you're still gonna have weeks, months, and years where you go by and say, it's not quite, do you see this ache of incompleteness? This is a gift from God, follow now, this is how God leads us out of the cul-de-sac to go to the real solution. It, it gets us to minister in a work of detachment. Detach from creation and turn to Christ and attach yourself there through this ache, this internal world of incompleteness. Are you tracking with me here? So you've got this alienation from God. Do you see that in verse 21? And then it leads to what? In your Bibles, as you read, enemies in your mind. Some of your Bibles say hostility of mind. How does that happen? Because you're so frustrated that the ache, that your marriage isn't good enough, your work isn't good enough, your kids aren't good enough, your 401ks aren't good enough, your ministry's not good enough, all these things in your life aren't good enough, and there's this ache gnawing like a rodent on the inside of your heart. The gap of unmet expectations is there. And what you do is you begin to move out of that space, and you get upset, you're looking for someone to blame. You, you transfer this hostility for, it's got to be my wife's fault or my husband's fault or my boss's fault or the church's fault. It's got to be somebody's fault because I'm dissatisfied to this degree from this alienation issue. I move out in hostility and in primarily who's on the receiving end of that hostility are those closest to you. So your immediate family close coworkers, those of you in life groups together, doing some kind of life together, you're the, you receive the ripple effect of that hostility. And this is what happened to Adam and Eve, Genesis 3. You know, God comes to them after they take the fruit, and God's looking for a little check, like accountability, ownership. Hey, he goes to Adam. Hey, Adam, what's up? Did you take the fruit you're not supposed to take? Pretty straightforward question. What does Adam say? You can look it up, Genesis 3, read it on your own. He says this, the woman you put here with me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Number one, he knows her name because he named her. Ha, shock. Eve, her name is Eve. The woman, who's he throwing under the bus? You put here with me. Ha, so Adam's being cornered, right? This fracture has happened in his life. He's upset about what's going on, and so he moves out, and he moves to blaming. Who's he blaming? He's blaming God and Eve. He throws God and Eve under the bus. So he, then God goes to Eve. Hey, Eve, have you taken the fruit? What does Eve say? The serpent. Are you kidding me? So you got Adam throwing God and Eve under the bus. You got Eve throwing the serpent under the bus. And what's inserted into the human experience is what Colossians 1 is describing. An alienation from God producing a hostility of mind which manifests in blaming. You're looking for someone or something to blame for your ache of incompleteness. Are you tracking with me? So it's like in a work setting. So this is how it works in a, in a everyday life work setting. You go to school, you get a job, you head out into the marketplace and you start move, produce, accomplish, create. You start knocking it down and you're building a career and work is a gift from God. It's a good thing. Work is a wonderful thing, but it's never to become the grounds of our identity. 
Stay with me here. When you start putting pressure on work to extract out of work what it was never intended to extract out, do you know what you begin to experience there? This ache of incompleteness. Work can only be work. It can never be the full satisfaction measure that only Christ can bring. Work is not your all. Christ is your all. This is the point. So work will have a lining of incompleteness to it. Listen, looking for another job isn't a bad thing. Colossians 1 just sifts the motive on why you're doing it. Sometimes you land on monster.com and hiring a headhunter, not for all the right reasons. Just it's an ache issue. Sometimes it might be spirit-led, God-directed. But sometimes, right, Paul's saying, hey, look, look at this. You're putting pressure on creation to extract out what only Christ can bring. Or marriage. Remember when you walk the aisle, some newlyweds here today, isn't it a wonderful thing? Those of you who have been around a lot longer, think, remember it was your first year of marriage, you walked the aisle. You were convinced it was blissful glory ahead of you. And you actually thought about this line that maybe was used in your ceremony, that this spouse was given to complete you. That's so wrong. God did not give your spouse to complete you, he gave you your spouse to reveal you. There's memo number one for every marriage. You're like, I signed up. I didn't sign up for a reveal. Yeah. It's going to expose you. No more hiding. It's a little tougher to hide anyway. So here's what happens in marriage. That you move into married life and you begin to look to your spouse and you put pressure on your spouse to come through for you and deliver for you in ways that a spouse never can. Your spouse is not your Messiah. He or she could never be that. They're not your healer. They're not your rescuer. They're not your redeemer. They're not your completer. They're your spouse. And do you see the pressure that places? And it just squeezes the life out of the marriage. Your spouse cannot be your all. Christ is your all. And there's this ache of incompleteness in marriage. And if we're not careful, it leads to foolish choices. How does it go to there? You you conclude, I just need another spouse. That'll fix it. That doesn't fix it. Because the ache is pointing to something deeper that no spouse can fulfill. Children. So work doesn't do it. Marriage doesn't do it. We'll have some kids. Then you have one kid. You think, one kid doesn't do it. Two kids, three kids. You look back in your minivan. You go, what in the world are we doing? How did this happen? Because the ache of incompleteness, as you add more children, have you noticed? The ache gets deeper and wider. Kids are wonderful. But there's so much demanded of us in an others-oriented way. It doesn't satisfy the ache. It magnifies it. So the more bodies you add into the equation, do you see? God's sitting on his throne. He's got, I got a great idea for building Christ's likeness in my people. He's sitting, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Nice little committee meeting they have. We're going to build a Christ likeness in this body of people. Here's the idea that comes to the table. We're going to create a family. Ha ha, family. That's going to do it. That's going to be like a crucible of formation that's just going to pressure and grind and chisel away, Right? Because you, ha- you can be selfish and have a marriage, you just can't have a great marriage and be selfish. You can be selfish and be a parent, you just can't be a great parent and be selfish. Do you see it? It forces a humility and an other's orientation and a gentleness and a kindness and a love. The family unit itself, do you see that? It's driving attention to what? Work can't be your all. 
Marriage can't be your all. Children can't be your all. Go down the list. Minister, whatever it is, can't be your all. Christ is your all. This is the fracture of alienation that manifests itself into blame shifting, hostility towards others, where you start pointing the finger. It's my boss's fault, my spouse's fault, the church's fault, my friend's fault. It's everyone's fault that I've got this ache. And Christ is saying they're shining a spotlight and saying, no, here's where the ache is to drive you. That's when you know you're caught in the cul-de-sac. You just keep running around that cul-de-sac of sin. How do you get out of it? Follow God's GPS called Christ. Christ is your way out. He's the only one big enough, deep enough, strong enough to handle the ache of incompleteness. And that's the link, the link in verse 21. Alienated from God, enemies or hostility of mind, evil behavior or foolish choices. It's an alienation issue, Paul says. How do you explain a week like this in Boone County? Alienation is Paul's explanation. Our world is broken. How do you explain the behavior at times that scrolls across your newsfeed? Paul would say, alienation is the issue. It's an issue in our own personal hearts, and it's a ripple effect out through the human experience across the globe. So every culture, every government, every single entity is dealing with this, an alienation fracture from God, and it explains all the other breakdowns. People say, what's going on with all hostility in our world? Paul says it's an alienation issue. And what about all the blaming going on in our culture today? Alienation issue. What about the incredibly foolish choices being made day after day? Alienation issue. So do you feel this? So Paul's pressing alienation is the issue. And now next verse, well, what's the solution? Paul says, I'm glad you asked. Verse 22. But now... Anytime he uses that, sit up in your chair a little bit. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, underline continue, established and firm, not moved from the hope, underline not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So what's God's pathway out of alienation? His memo from that jail cell in Rome is, it's not Rome. <laughs> and the, uh, the emperor's not feeling that. Because the only one pathway out of the alienation and fracture issue in the Roman Empire is Rome. And Paul says, no, it's not Rome who's your pathway out. Christ is your way out. Christ is all. Christ is your savior. Christ is your light. Christ is your hope. Christ is your means of reconciliation, of piecing back together all that's fractured apart. It's Christ. Jesus came and lived the life none of us could live. He died the death none of us could die. And he accomplished the reconciliation none of us are big enough or strong enough or pure enough to reconcile. Christ is the only one. He's God's sufficient means, his pathway for restoring. And the Bible word to describe this solution is called gospel. We introduced it a couple weeks ago. Uangeleon is the Greek word. Gospel, it means good news. Paul uses it twice there. Did you see that in verse 23? The gospel, he says. What does gospel mean? It's all of this. 
It's the good news that you have new life available in Jesus, that the alienation issue has a solution, and the solution is called Christ. Alienation is the issue, reconciliation is the solution, and Christ is the means by which that reconciliation is put together. That's good news. That's gospel. And that gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. And Paul continues to bring up, right? So a God-soaked life is a gospel-centered life. And do you notice the language he uses? Maybe some of you have encountered that gospel. I pray that you have. If not, at the end of the message, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond to this gospel, maybe for the first time in your life. But those of you who have responded to the gospel and have said yes to Jesus at some point in your life, what's the language Paul used there? I had you underline it. Once you've started in it, you just say, good, signed, sealed, and delivered, I'm moving on. No, you continue in it. You stay anchored in the hope of this gospel. Don't move from it. Are you tracking with me here? You continue to build and lead a gospel-centered life, recognizing we've got alienation issues and recognizing Christ is our only hope for reconciliation. Recognizing we're just as tempted to go down the stream of verse 21, where we can go alienation to hostility, to blaming, to foolish choices. We're all tempted with that. And so Paul says, you gotta stay anchored in the gospel every single day. The gospel is for you and me every day for this moment. That a God-soaked life is a gospel life. And for our culture today, you know, Billy Graham's funeral this week, is there a better example for our generation of a modern-day kind of Paul-like figure than Billy Graham? I don't know how many of you got to watch some segments of the service. I had a friend who was invited, actually, to attend Billy's service. Can you imagine that? He got to go to North Carolina for Friday afternoon service at the Billy Graham uh, Center there outside the library. You can go online, by the way, if you just search it, they posted a video. The video's like six hours long because they did all the family greeting. They just, they broadcast everything. But if you just scroll through it, you'll be able to see parts of the service. And my friend was telling me stories about just how impactful sitting there for that hour and a half or so it was. Two stories stood out to me as I watched and read some of the stories on it. Ruth Graham stood up. Ruth is one of the daughters of Billy and Ruth Graham. And Ruth came to the mic and told the story of her second failed marriage. She had a marriage that lasted 21 years, it failed. She received counsel from her mom and dad and all kinds of other people in her life not to marry the second guy. She dismissed all the counsel, did it anyway, and the marriage lasted five weeks. And at the end of the second broken marriage, she said she got in her car to drive to her mom and dad's house. And she said, Of course, no one wants to disappoint their father. But could you just feel the weight of Ruth Graham as a daughter not wanting to disappoint your father whose name is Billy Graham? She said she was just driving and just trying to imagine like what's this conversation gonna be like and she drove up the long winding driveway and she said there was only one person standing in the driveway and it was Billy. He was waiting for her. She parked her car and Billy walked towards her. And as she stepped out of her vehicle, he just wrapped her in his arms and held her as she wept. And all he said to her was, welcome home, welcome home. And Ruth shared that in the funeral and said, 
on that day, I saw in my dad, God. You want to know what God's like? Right there in that moment, she said, I saw there was no guilt, no shame, no regret, no condemnation. There was unconditional love for a father, for a wayward child. Welcome home. And she left that as the number one legacy, she said, when she thinks about her father. She says, my father showed me, and through his life and his actions, who God is, who Christ is, what's he like. And then at the opening of the service, Billy's longtime pastor, can you imagine the conversations? Billy lived to be 99. And Billy gave the past, his pastor very specific instructions about the Bible verse he wanted read. Billy loved the scriptures. He loved his Bible. Those who visited Billy Graham in the latter stages of his life in his 90s, they told the stories that, that Billy, he couldn't read out of the printed. There wasn't large enough print printed. So he had his friends go and type up in like Microsoft Word the Psalms and made the font so big and assembled it in a three-ring binder. So one person who went and visited him said Billy had this like massive three-ring binder sitting in his lap in his bed, and it was the book of Psalms. And the font was so big, it was like on one page it would say, the Lord is my. Next page, shepherd. Are you kidding me? Billy loved the scriptures to that degree that even when he could barely see with his eyes, he said, I want God's word. I've got to be in God's word. He loved the Bible. I thought, there's an image of someone finishing well. That if my eyesight is fading, I say to someone around me, hey, make that font bigger. Print it and bring, bring it to me. So he said to his pastor, Ephesians 2, pastor, at the service, here's your scripture. Ephesians 2, the opening line of chapter 2. Though you were dead in your transgressions and sin, and then jump down, but God in his great mercy made you alive with Christ. That's what Billy wanted. Do you know what? That's Billy's version of Uangeleon, of Colossians 1 gospel. Billy said, this invitation is available to anyone. You may be dead, alienation from God, dead in your transgression and sin, but God made you alive by his mercy in Christ. That's the reconciliation that Christ makes available. And Billy went to 185 countries and in person to 215 million people to proclaim that one singular message, that Christ is all. And now he's laid to rest and the Jesus who he had preached so faithfully for 80 years, he now sees face to face. And so church, the question isn't whether we're going to encounter the brokenness realities of our lives. We have a front row seat to our own brokenness. And then this past week, a front row seat to massive brokenness all around us. The question isn't whether we're going to experience the brokenness. Here's the, here's the deal. The question is, are we going to encounter the one who can do something about it? 
There's a whole lot of people having a whole lot of words talking about what to do with the brokenness in the human heart and in our world today. And Christ stands supreme over it all and says, I'm in Christ is all. Christ is the answer. And we who are followers of him, that's our role. We're the beacons of light to move out into the brokenness and take what message? Reconciliation, that God can piece back together what has broken apart. It doesn't matter what you strayed into. It doesn't matter how far you strayed into it. Christ can reconcile. And so as I close in prayer, I wanna give you an opportunity. Maybe for some of you, this is your first movement towards reconciliation in Christ. This is when the Bible uses the phrase being born again where you come to Jesus with your brokenness and sin and your alienation and you say, Jesus, help me, make me whole, save me. It's becoming a Christian. And for others of you, it might be a returning back today. Maybe you've been wandering away, distracted around all kinds of other things, maybe dealing with the ache of incompleteness in all kinds of ways. And maybe today, you're like Ruth Graham in the driveway and you just hear the loving arms of the heavenly father say, welcome home, just come back. And maybe for others of us here, it's the exhortation from Paul that says, hey, that gospel that you've grounded yourself in, make sure you continue in it. Don't move from the anchor of that hope. Let's pray together. And so if there's any here who want to right now, just simply the quietness of your own seat, you can just call out right from where you are. Say, Jesus, I know I've fallen on my face in brokenness and sin. And I call out to you to save me today. Jesus, save me. I confess my sin to you. I turn to you as the sufficient payment for my sin. And I pray you'd begin to piece back together all that's broken down in my heart. I trust you as my Savior and my Lord. You just pray that in your own words. And then for others here, maybe it's the returning back home. It's you turning your face back towards your heavenly father and in Christ knowing his face has always been turned towards you in love and you just get to come back today. Just make a decision in your heart right now. Say, hey, you know what? I'm done rationalizing how I've wandered or where I've wandered. I'm just coming back. And then you turn to Christ to help you piece it back together. And then for the rest in the room, let's make a covenant together today to stay firmly grounded as a God-soaked people, gospel-centered, continuing in this on this good news, that though we were alienated and we know the temptation to get hostile with our minds and to shift blame and to make foolish choices, that knowing full aware of our own darkness and sin and fallenness, you sent Christ to reconcile and we stay clinging to you who is our all. Breathe that hope and that life into whatever brokenness we may be experiencing this day. We ask it in Jesus' name.